on the 2021 Veterans Golf Association, VGA, Men's National Champion. Very excited to get him on, for him to share his story about growing up in the UP. He's a Uper, all the way up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. He lives in Wisconsin now and has traveled pretty much all over the world. He proudly served in the Michigan National Guard, completed a deployment to Afghanistan. We talk about that. And then we talk about everything that he's done post his service, what it's like to play in the VGA, the VGA National Championship, and more. Awesome guy. Thank you, Anthony, for jumping on. Very, very excited for the people to hear his story. But most importantly here, this podcast is part of the No Laying Up Podcast Network. And you know I work for No Laying Up. They pay the bills. So... If you're not aware of what The Nest is, I want you to go check it out. First of all, it's at nolayingup.com forward slash join. Tons of benefits in there. Get access to our refuge message board. In there, you're going to find all of our event details. I know before I joined No Laying Up, I was always like, wow, I see these guys traveling and playing in events all the time. What is a No Laying Up event versus what is a refuge meetup? You can dive in and find out what roots are and what they're going to be all about. You get access to exclusive Nest merchandise. Everybody loves some good merchandise. I love the No Laying Up merchandise that we come up with, but... We do have limited access to the Nest and some of the different Nest logo stuff. So get in there and check it out. There's also a monthly podcast that we put out specifically for Nest members only. We cover question and answers. Sometimes it's a special guest interview. There's also a member directory where you can meet up with other players that are in the Nest. Say you're traveling to a different town, put a message in whatever thread that it's in, or check out the member directory. And you can find some people to, to meet up and have a game with. You get a standing 15% off in the No Laying Up Pro Shop, an annual gift, and the availability to qualify for the Nest Invitational Tournament. That's our big tournament we hold the beginning of November every single year. It's a great time, a great group of people. Could not be more fortunate to meet a majority of my new golf friends, thankfully, through the Nest. So... Get involved. Anyway, on to the podcast. Here's Anthony, and here's his story. Enjoy. So my first couple of years here, I, I didn't play much golf. Probably five years ago, six years ago, I said I got to get golf kind of back into my life, uh, you know, a little bit more consistently here. So I ended up getting a, a pass at the Blackhawk Country Club in Madison, which is a, it's a little old school Tillinghast redesign thing. And just, yeah, kind of got back into playing. Um, you know, it was a few times a week with a little bit of practice, but yeah, like, I don't know, the mind got, the mind game got a lot better. And, you know, I just, my game came back and I was, yeah, I was playing some good golf. So I think I won four club champs in a row there maybe, and then transferred to another course, uh, Lake Ripley country club, which is closer to work. Two years ago when COVID, you know, started work was, was tough. It was crazy. So we were, we were considered essential. So we got to work through it, but 
it was a grind. I mean, we were, you know, we might've only been at the office 40, 50, 60 hours, but it was, it was every night, you know, we're getting phone calls from employees where, you know, I was at this function and Johnny's wife, Susie's got COVID, you know, what do we do? You know? And I'm like, so every night we're, you know, we're playing construction managers, but we're also playing makeshift, you know, health doctors, whatever. So I didn't play a lot of golf that summer and, you know, conveniently, I mean, a lot of tournaments were canceled. So I didn't, I didn't get to do any of that anyway. So this past summer, I talked to Brady and Katie at work and I said, I gotta, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play some golf this summer. I'm gonna see where the hell my game can get at. So yeah, started the summer with a trip to Bandon and Chambers and got to play Sahali and uh, met up with a really good buddy that I met through the VGA, Adam Columbia and, and my buddy Shani and, and, and Mitch and we took a trip out to band and that kind of started the summer off and yeah kind of had a summer to remember when it comes to golf I won a handful of basketball tournaments up in the UP so if, I don't know were you playing did you play gray walls oh yeah loved it so they have a thing in the UP called the UPGA so it's the UP Golf Association it's like a it's a tourney schedule through the summer so Okay. Everyone says they're said everyone says they're on tour. So it's it's two-person basketball tournaments are the are the big things in the UP. There isn't much of individual tournaments. There's a handful. I mean, you can find them if you want, but the big events where the good players are at in the UP are all basketballs. And every course hosts their own basketball. So it's unique. It's a UP thing. And you know, the weird thing, Wisconsin basically has minimal basketball tournaments i mean if you get in the state the wisconsin state golf association has their basketball series but normal courses don't host basketballs right everything's still just individual stroke play so it's a up thing so yeah this summer i played in my memorial day tournament um my course i grew up in with my cousin you know i ended up winning that um i don't know if you guys experience will want to win is like 20 minutes from gray walls it's in ishwaming so that's that's a pretty stacked field. A lot of D1 players and XD1 players there. And it's it's a stout field. So went with a, a guy from down in Wisconsin that I'm good friends with, uh, Ben Schaefer. We went up there and we shot 18 under for two days and one by seven. Um, so, so kind of laughed the field there and it, that felt good. And then, um, you know, shot 65 in a stroke play tournament in Madison and ended up taking a 36 hole medalist tournament and then you know the vga the veterans golf stuff picked up late in the in the fall and you know won the state wisconsin state tournament and then went down to kansas city you know won the two-day thing there and then got to go to nationals and that was my third time at nationals so yeah i don't want to treat this here's that ball this raw playing field i mean it doesn't get any better than that so real quick for the people kind of you mentioned the VGA, so the Veterans Golf Association. Describe what it is. So about four years ago, um, one of my military buddies mentioned it to me. He's like, hey, have you ever heard of this? And I'm like, no, I haven't. What is it? And he's like, it's, you know, essentially it's a it's a veterans group. Um, you know, you you do pay a, a membership fee, and then, you know, the tournaments are, are small fees for that. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a group of veterans and direct veteran families that put together this golf schedule for the year. And each state has their own director and 
you essentially play a, play a tournament schedule. Wisconsin has 20 plus tournaments in the summer. So now that it's grown, you have to do, you know, you got to play so many state events, you can get into the state tournament and then you go to regionals and stuff like that. But yeah, essentially it's a big veterans golf league that, you know, you, you can go to these tournaments with a bunch of other veterans and, and get together and smack a ball around and, and tell your stories. And it's just, it's a good time. And what caught my eye initially, you know, four years ago was, you know, Olympic club. I mean, that's where the, that's where the finals were at. I'm like, man, that's, that's like next level. And, you know, I was like, I'm pretty decent. I think I can, you know, maybe make a run or something. So I ended up qualifying for nationals that first year. And that, that year, the first day was at TPC Harding Park. So I went out kind of under the radar and, and whistled 68 uh, first round and had a lead heading into the second day at Olympic and, uh, Olympic, I started the first, the first hole actually birdied. And, you know, that's kind of, it's kind of a bad omen. Again. The wheels fell off and I ended up shooting in the eighties and, uh, you know, got to witness, you know, I think Brandon won it that year. Um, Brandon's the air force guy, right? Yep. Yeah, Johnson. Yeah. So okay. he, he won that year and, you know, I got to witness, him win and me collapse and you know it was I was still proud I mean you know I, I went out and I shot 68 at Harding Park I mean that was you know a great round of golf considering the circumstances um but Olympic did chew me up a little bit um you know and I, I think I learned a lot from that year in the national championship this year because I you know I was I was trailing for essentially for two straight days until the last hole um you know so hold on real quick so you you won the the wisconsin state championship you went and played regionals which i I, what you guys are in just the the central region central okay which i'm still trying to figure this one out cody so the central region goes from texas all the way up to (laughs) right (laughs) well we'll have to get uh uh, josh payton on and ask him what's going on with the map that he's looking at (laughs) yeah but uh, so you won that, and then so a 36-hole final every year. This year it was at the day one was the upper course of Baltusrol, and then playing field for the final day. Yep. So how did day one go? It went okay. I mean, it was just steady. I, I I think I ended up, you know, two over overall. It was just kind of a grind. I didn't uh, I didn't have my best stuff, but I didn't have my worst stuff. But uh, Carney was, I was playing with him the first day and he was just lights out. You know, I think he ended up shooting four or under or something that day. And, um, you know, it was, it was weird because I, I'm sorry, I love golf and I love architecture and I love these courses and I love these clubhouses and I love the pro shops and the merch. So, I mean, I'm like, I'm digging this all at Baltusrol trying oh, to yeah. take it in. And, yep. you know, I was just a grinder that day. I mean, I, I made a lot of putts. Like I just made a lot of like five footers, six footers, bars. And, you know, I wasn't nothing flashy. I think I got in at, like I said, two over. So I was, I think I was six back to start the second. And then, uh, yeah, day two was at Plainfield. So, and, and how the VJ and the nationals work is you actually play a practice round the day before. And it's typically on the course you end up playing the second. So we got a practice round at Plainfield. That'll kind of come full circle here. So Plainfield, 
you know, I was just kind of grinding there too. I mean, I just had, I mean, I was okay, but I was getting up and down from kind of everywhere and I was just scrambling and, um, yeah, Ryan was playing really good there and, 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 uh, Brandon was playing good. So our group was, you know, Ryan, Brandon, um, and, and Carney was leading. So, you know, I was just, I almost felt like I was going to left in the dust a few times, but I was just, just kind of hanging in there and hanging in there. And then, um, the second nine, you know, I started kind of feeling it and I got to the, the funny thing is, is the stretch that I, I birdied all those holes. I started my practice round, um, on that stretch of holes. And I started hot too. I started with a ton of birdies and I was lighting those holes up for some reason. that stretch of holes at playing field just fit my eye. I ended up birdieing, I think four of the last five holes, um, to ultimately end up in a playoff. Amazing finish. So what, what you kind of surreal. Yeah, you and uh it would have been Nick and Brandon. So Nick got a putt to win it on the last hole and just missed. And then uh and then Brandon. So we had a three-way playoff. So three-way playoff here for VJ National Championship. What are you feeling going into that? Because obviously you have pretty good momentum going in with that back nine that you had. Yeah, I was I was feeling good. And they flipped the nines there too for the tournament. So 18 was essentially nine because it finished right in front of the clubhouse at Plainfield, which is, I mean, it's a beautiful finish there. Yeah, so it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's next level. So, I mean, I was feeling good. And nine was kind of kicking me a little bit because the practice round, I came up short and there's a huge false front there. Um, it's just mass. It's hard to even describe. Um, and the pin was basically perched right on top of that false front. I mean, it was a from the front of the false front area to, I mean, you have to carry it an extra probably 30, 40 yards. Otherwise, it's coming all the way off the front. So, practice round chewed me up, never made it up there, came back. In regulation, I actually hit it pretty close up to the pin, but it funneled all the way back off the front. So, I was feeling good, but I was committed to going long, if anything. I know Ryan in regulation was on the back of the green and, and wasn't able to get up and down from back there, but I felt like if I'm at least on the same level back there, I have a better chance than coming up this mountain from the front of the green. So I ended up, uh, I don't even remember the exact yardage, but I just had a hit iron off the tee and then it's, it's a completely blind second shot. So all you're looking at is a huge bunker face and then the roof of the clubhouse. That's all you can see. So I had like 135 yards, roughly, I believe. And I'm like, I can't even be afraid of hitting this in the patio. Like if I hit someone, because there was a pretty good crowd there watching. I'm like, you know, if I hit someone in the face on the patio, I'm just going to have to apologize, but I'm not coming up short. So, and the wind was blowing hard in the face too. So I just kept one, I was trying to focus on a line. So I finally found like a chimney that was on the roof that seemed like an inadequate line. And then I just kept going through the numbers in my mind. And I, I ended up on an eight iron and the eight iron is typically like 170 yard club. And I had 135 yard shot. And I'm like, the math isn't adding up, but I got to commit to it. And yeah, my second shot, I hit, um, felt good, started right where I wanted. And ultimately you can't see anything but everyone was kind of going crazy. So I'm like, I had to hit it pretty decent. Um, 
but yeah, I walked up there and got to see where it was. And I don't know. Some people say it was a foot and a half. I'm like, there's no way. It was probably like legitimately probably like four feet or something. It was a little bit of a bend. And then I had to wait forever. You know, Brandon, I think Brandon was icing me, man. I was like, you know, eventually I got my turn. Yeah, and I ended up making that for birdie. So like five in the last six holes, birdie in it. Um, just a really, really cool experience. I, I have a lot of friends for the VGA now. Wisconsin chapters, just amazing. The people in Wisconsin are, are a tight-knit group. And, you know, they, they rush the green and then... Uh, other some other um vga guys that have purple hearts in it jerry and and adam and will uh those guys were were all there and then my good buddy adam columbia from out in, out in seattle too so it was just a really cool experience yeah and, and and winning that especially when i essentially was so close to the olympic and just found eight bunkers and got up and down on a zero <laughs> hey everybody has a road you ne- you needed that round at Olympic to get you to uh, playing field. Oh, I know, and I I told my wife too. I'm like, you know, if anyone knows what a, you know, a coming from behind or or what can happen with a big lead, you know, it's me. I mean, I I, I witnessed it firsthand. So. Good little redemption story too for you with Brandon because he can't win all of these things. Yeah, I know, I know. And we rode in a cart that day too, so it was all. It never really was in the mix until the end. You talked a little bit about the community that the VJ is and kind of the, the brotherhood, the fellowship that it provides, and ultimately, like, just a ton of camaraderie between everybody. But what does it mean for you now to say, you know, you're the VJ national champion? Yeah, I I think it's an honor, first of all. I mean, obviously, this this community is is growing a lot. I think the first year I made it to nationals, there was, like, 6,000 members. You know, I think this past year there was 10,000, you know, I, I think the, the community is, is just growing and um, it, it really means a lot. And the one thing, you know, working in construction and our company growing, you know, Katie and Brady and I, we need to be open to, to change and, and change from, you know, every level. I mean, like I said, we're only 5% of what goes on in our company. You know, everyone, our field workers and everyone else that works there is, is what makes it happen every day. So, you know, getting everyone's input on decisions that have to be made, no matter how small or big they are, you know, within our company has helped us to grow. So, I mean, the VGA is going through, you know, a huge growth cycle and, and things are, are fluid and things are, are getting better. And, you know, I think the future is really cool. I mean, the golf courses are, they don't get any better. I mean, we got to play Olympic in Harding Park and then the year after it was at the Greenbrier and, you know, then going to Baltusrol and Plainfield. I mean, these are courses that are just iconic and, and, and fun. So if you're a golf nut, I mean, that's, that alone makes this organization amazing, but the people in it truly make it like my friends in the Wisconsin branch. And like I said, my buddies at the other purple heart guys between Will and Adam, Adam, you know, Will and Jerry, it's, we have a friendship. We're texting all the time, screwing around. I mean, 
the camaraderie and the, and the feeling that you get when you're at these events, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you win, you know, you got buddies for a lifetime that have went through something, you know, everyone's different, you know, like I listen to your story and you have so many deployments. I can't even imagine what that feels like or, or what that's like. And, you know, you're just a true warrior and like, you know, my situation's different. I went on one deployment. It was a, you know, it wasn't an easy deployment by any means. It was, it was a tough one, but everyone's got their own story and, and hearing all those stories and, and how they've overcome things in their life to get to where they're at now. And it, it's awesome. Like, I, I can't say enough, you know, Josh has started something really, really special. And, you know, the future is just going to keep, keep getting better. I, I can see it. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, you're a scratch golfer, you know, like myself, or, you know, it's handicapped, there's different divisions, you know, essentially I qualified and, and play out of a purple heart division because that's what I have. Um, but then I, I play in the overall because I'm, you know, my handicap. So, you know, females, the family, you know, Adam Columbia's won the family you know, a division the last few years too. And, you know, his wife's a, you know, a Fober, uh colonel and that's how he's in. So it doesn't need, everyone's got their own path to get in. And I think Josh and the VGA has been flexible with what you need, you know, as far as your requirements as a family member or whatever to play in these events. So, yeah, it, it means a lot. Like I said, if I scrolled through my last 20 non-work texts, I would say, you know, 25% of them are probably VGA guys that I didn't know four years ago. It's incredible. That's what it's there for, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know where the champion, I don't know championship is this year, but I've been poking Josh. I've been trying to figure out what, you know, where is it going to be at? But he's been keeping it pretty quiet. I'm excited because for, I think I heard about the VGA four or five years ago, I guess now, but for the first year ever, I'm actually going to be able to have enough events to even qualify to play in the state championship. So what does golf mean to you now? Man, it's, it means a whole, it, it means a whole bunch of different things. So there's, there's, you know, there's different things with me and golf now that, that mean a lot. So I got to play a very special round with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law. He was diagnosed with cancer. My father-in-law, he's, he's doing good now. He's on the back end of that for sure. But, you know, he was out in Scottsdale living out there, going to Mayo Clinic and, and doing some treatments out there. And we got, we were fortunate enough to go play TPC Scottsdale with the stands up. So experiences like that, playing with your, you know, your brother-in-law, your father-in-law who has, is beating cancer, playing in front of the big grandstands there on 16 and stuff. You know, there's there's those type of moments with golf. There's also just going out after work and, and getting away from everything and, and chipping balls or, or hitting balls. Um, there's the architecture and history piece of golf that I'm slowly becoming a, a nerd and a buff about. And you know, that's got me intrigued. I mean, I'm, I'm in Wisconsin, you know, I've pretty much played everything here from, you got plenty of really good, good architecture there to choose from. So you're, you're in a good spot. 
Yeah. So, I mean, golf just means, means a lot. And the weird thing is, is, you know, you rewind back to when I had the opportunity to maybe go and do mini tours or whatever in Arizona, you know, I never wanted to get to a point where I, like I said, where I didn't love or, or enjoy golf. And I think to this, you know, today, I, I, I love golf more today than I, you know, did a year or two ago. So in the summer, I get to go and play in some UPGA events and, you know, see the boys on a tour and, you know, that's, that's fun. I mean, I've been with my buddy Shani and, and some of those guys, we do a spring golf trip every year. Um, and that's something to look forward to, you know, when the winters suck here in Wisconsin and Michigan, we're, we're getting ready to go on our trip. And then when you're on that spring trip, you're planning next year's spring trip. And, um, yeah, and then there's just like the function of watching golf. I watch a lot of golf on TV and, you know, just enjoy how good those guys really are and, and the courses they get to play. So golf means a lot to me in, in so many different ways that it's hard to pinpoint. You know, I like I like gear. I like the, you know, the new clubs and I can't keep up with Taylor made, but I don't think anyone can, but uh <laughs> The others, so yeah. So I mean, every aspect of golf um, is good, and and you know, my wife Katie, she she enjoys. She doesn't play it all the time. I think if golf was like a five or a six hole sport, she'd play it more. But she loves being on the course. You know, when we go on a trip or something, she'll come and walk along or, or ride on the cart. You know, one of really special moment we had is after Olympic, after I ended up essentially losing. You know, we went down to Pebble for a few nights and. You know, we got to be on pebble at 75 degree, no wind, sun out day. And, and, you know, it was one of the coolest days we've experienced anywhere, whether it's on a golf course or whatever, you know, on a vacation. So, yeah, golf means a lot to me. And um, I'm just fortunate that I'm in the mindset where golf does mean what it does to me today. It's incredible sport. It means uh, a ton and a lot to everyone in different ways, right? I think it, it brings people together. There's also a, dis, a, a divisive side of it, if you want to read into that at all. Like I said, the therapeutic, the camaraderie, the fellowship, just being out there and being able to do something literally for the rest of your life, it's incredible. And I'm happy to hear that you got to share a lot of those amazing moments with the people that you care about most. Yeah, that's, and, and it's different. You know, I grew up in a hockey rink. I mean, yeah, essentially the ceiling looks different in a hockey rink and, you know, the stands look a little different, right. but essentially you're in a hockey rink all the time. I mean, the canvas for golf is, is just so different. And so I was a hockey player pretty much my whole life and everyone was asked if I was from Canada and I'm like, well, close enough, not necessarily, but <laughs> So yeah, I was born and raised in Hancock, Michigan. Everyone does the old hands to show where you're from from Michigan. So everyone does the old, you know, the thumbprint. So I'm from way up in the Keweenaw Peninsula, uh, Michigan Tech University area. So I'm from Hancock, the north side of the bridge. And yeah, born and raised there. All right. So what brought you to Madison now then? So... Yeah, that's well. So I've been in Madison about eight years, going on nine. So work, family, family construction company. Yeah, I'd, I'd, rewinding all the way back. I mean, I grew up 
UP in a about an 800 square foot house with five people, little old mining house um, on the hill in Hancock. And uh, my father was in a, uh, basically a semi driver and my mom worked for the university, um, two older brothers. Yeah, I grew up playing hockey. So I was a hockey player from the time I was about six years old playing travel hockey throughout the the upper peninsula in Wisconsin. We'd travel everywhere and play about 80 games a year. Yeah, just uh, grew up in a very middle class family. Yeah, that's kind of where it all started. From originally? So, I mean, what, what were your parents doing up there? No, no, my dad bounced around a little bit, but he he ultimately uh, he grew up in in Chicago for a while. He ended up in Hancock, um, but my mom was from up there. Yeah, just just hardworking parents, and like I said, I grew up. I go back. I was just back home this weekend, and I I can't believe I grew up in that that house with five people. It's I don't know if necessarily you can call it a bedroom and a half, but <laughs> there's one room that doesn't have a door on it, and. Um, yeah, it's just a small, small house, and it's just a tight-knit community up there. And big-time winters, 300 inches of snow a year. So That's uh, <laughs> crazy to even think about. Yeah, I know. Wow. Okay. So growing up, like you said, you played a ton of hockey. What else did you guys do up there? I mean, it's it's freezing basically all year round. I went probably in the warmest time of year, and that was the the middle of August, and I was still – not warm by any means and the days were nice the the nights were still kind of chilly but i understand i mean i asked everybody when we're up in marquette what do you guys do in the winter and everybody just kind of said we're just surviving yeah that's that's pretty much it i mean summer up there is june july august they tell everyone i was probably eight months a year playing hockey and then in the summer i was i was playing baseball so uh my two older brothers grew up playing basketball, football, baseball, and they were incredible at, at what they did. And I came later. Um, so growing up, I was, you know, hockey was a different avenue than, than those guys did. So I didn't have any uh, big shoes to fill growing up, you know, comparing myself to them or anything. And then I played Little League Baseball um, pretty much until I was probably 11 or 12. And I got into golf probably about fifth or sixth grade. My parents were got divorced when I was probably 10 or 11. And my mom had a, had a boyfriend um, called Roger. I mean, he's pretty much been my second dad my whole life. So it's my mom's boyfriend, but pretty much, like I said, grew up as a father figure. And he said, what about golf? And I'm like, well, I chip, I chip balls around in the yard and I think it's pretty cool. And, you know, Tiger Woods is the man. And so I remember it like yesterday, you know, Roger and my mom, we went out to the golf course and played for the first time. I had little persimmon woods and, you know, irons that were way too long and shot 56, 54, 110 my first time out, made a par and just kind of got addicted to that and still kept playing hockey. I think I finished hockey when I was about 18 or 19, but kind of got rid of baseball. So baseball is being a little too much. Uh, my father was, was a very good father. He was just, he was hard on me with sports and I'm like, well, I'll deal with the, you know, the hockey side of things, you know, with the, with the tough dad. But I said the baseball year round with baseball too. I'm like, I can't, I can't deal with 12 months of that. And right. 
Right, right. Yeah, no, essentially, you know, started golfing. But yeah, as far as growing up up there, I mean, it's, if you don't ski or snowshoe or, or play hockey, I don't know what you do in the winter. Ice fish. Right. So when you, I mean, when your mom and her, her boyfriend took you out, where did you guys go play? Did you have a local course around there? Or was it, you know, kind of what was it like? So I grew up, uh, it's called Portage Lake Golf Course. It's in, it's in Houghton, Michigan. It's a university course. Two different nines. So the front nine's kind of newer. I think they probably, like the 80s, probably did the front front nine. The back nine is old school, 100 plus years old, just basically down and back tree line. So yeah, I, I, I grew up there and essentially, you know, the next year I told my mom and my mom's boyfriend and my dad, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get into this sport. I don't know what it's about, but I gotta figure this out. Cause I'm, I wasn't, I mean, my first round was kind of impressive, but I'm like, there's, there's a lot of room to, to work here. So ended up talking to the head pro Augie up there and got an envelope going behind the desk. So my mom could stash 20 bucks away and, and get me the pass. And essentially we get dropped off in the morning when my mom would leave for work and, or, you know, drop me off the course with, I don't know, four or five bucks and pick me up at dark. And we had a group of friends that, that I grew up with that were just extremely competitive. You know, I, a lot of my competitive nature to this day comes from my, my tight group of friends when we were, you know, late elementary school, heading through middle school and, you know, into high school and we're still friends to this day, but, you know, it's just weird. It was, we all look different. We all act a little different. We were all good at different things, but we all hated losing at, at anything. So my buddy Burr was just, he was a bigger, like a tight end build, but hands, I mean, that big, the best hands ever, good golfer, amazing hockey player. Uh, you know, Blake was just, just really good at hockey, really good at golf. I had a buddy named Regis ping pong tennis master would just beat us up all day and just rub it in our face. <laughs> and, uh, and then the Shanny brothers, we, we just were all a little bit different, but we were competitive. And, and I think, you know, through middle school and definitely through high school, we just, we pushed each other in different ways to, to, to beat each other. And then ultimately, you know, when we got into high school sports and stuff that translated into, you know, winning on the golf course or, you know, we were really good at hockey and all that stuff. So. Yeah. So what was, what was high school like for you guys? High school. So I had a class of like 70 roughly. Yeah. Hancock high school. So we started, when I started high school, it was in an old school setup probably, I don't know, 80 years old. I mean, it was just an old school type of setup and yeah, high school was, I think low key. I mean, once I got into junior and senior year, I was on the hockey team and you know, things were a little more chill. I mean, I was, I was a good student. I wasn't great. I mean, hockey and golf kind of, kind of drove me. I, I didn't take any, <laughs> any classes, you know, I'd, I'd get, I'd go through the easy sciences and the easy yeah, math. Yeah. You're not there for, for necessarily the education side of things. No, you're, no, you're there not at cause all. you gotta be there and you gotta pass these classes cause you gotta be on the hockey team or the golf team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I did good in school. I mean, not great. You know, I started actually dating my wife when I was in high school. I've known her since I was at six years old, which is kind of weird, but, uh, I grew up playing, playing hockey with, with her brother my whole life. So I've known my brother-in-law and, and my wife since I was very young, which is pretty cool. But yeah, high school re revolved around let's get school done and 
let's play golf and hockey. And that's, that's kind of what it was. All right. So what'd you do after high school? Then? So after high school, I played one year of hockey, had a little bit of recruitment for, for golf, nothing major, not D1 or anything, some D2 schools and stuff, but I want to play hockey. So ended up playing a year of triple A hockey, honestly, the worst year of hockey of my life. I was it's probably one of the only times in my life I wasn't committed to just absolute success in something. I kind of went through the motions, if that makes sense. And it just wore me out. I was playing, you know, 70, 80 games of hockey a year from when I was six until I was 18. And it, it caught up with me that year after, after high school. So I, I essentially, you know, played that year out and then I was still not knowing exactly what I wanted to do. I was, uh, I was 16 when I started my senior year. So I was really young, graduated when I was 17. I like to tell people it's because I was, you know, my grades and I was smart. Yeah. I think, Super smart. I think my parents just so were trying to get, get me at the house, right? From a, from a very early age too. When you're like three, they're like, get this kid out of here. No more daycare. Get his ass in school. <laughs> Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, a hundred percent believe that to this day, but yeah, so that year I was just, you know, I was trying to, you know, kind of find what, what am I going to do? So I ended up going to Northern Michigan university, which is in Marquette, what you were talking about, um, to play golf. I knew the coach, it was two hours from home. So it was just far enough away to, to be away, but it was close enough to get home. Yeah. I ended up going to Northern to play golf and I started there. And 05, I believe it was the winter of 05. So at Northern Michigan, first of all, I had no clue. You could have told me that Marquette University was in Marquette because that's <laughs> that's how much I knew about Northern Michigan. But what, what are you guys doing for, you know, I'm sure you can practice, what, probably into middle of October before it's like, hey, we can't even be outside anymore hitting balls. But you guys are traveling to where? You know, where's the rest of your conference at? Essentially, we'd leave in the snow. I mean, we didn't practice much. I mean, we would go into the Superior Dome and hit wiffle balls for like an hour before we'd get in a van in the snow and just head south. I mean, we, Ferris State, Grand Valley, like downstate Michigan, yep. um, did a lot of golf there. But would, yeah, head into like Finley, Ohio and Indiana and Kentucky. We had a meet every year in, in Perry Park, Kentucky. But yeah, essentially, we just head south until we found, uh, found grass. So how did your evolution, I guess, from taking a year, kind of that little gap year to play play hockey and to figure out what you wanted to do to the coach being like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll take you on up here. What was that process like? I think I was just still trying to figure out what I, I, I knew I was getting to the point where I had to probably go to school. I mean, that's what I thought. Casey Bjorn and uh, Dean Ellis were down there and I'm like, you know, they took me on, I had to try out and stuff, but I think 05 was still just a placeholder to, to try to figure it out. So first time I really moved out of the house, you know, went down to Marquette, going to school, trying to balance all that stuff. Yeah. Essentially some of my, uh, some of my friends from back home that I played hockey with or grew up, um, were joining, you know, the national guard and we had a unit up in, up in Michigan that, was given, you know, pretty decent signing bonuses, um, at the time to be a combat engineer. And I think there was like three different times where two batches of friends ended up joining. And so that winter of 05, I, you know, one of my good buddies, boo, that I 
grew up playing hockey with and, and lived with in Marquette for a period of time said, what the hell do you think about this? And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm looking for some direction, you know, let's join the guard. Direction, a little bit of money. You're telling me that I'm, I'm going to sign up and go to basic training when they tell me to. And I, when I get done, they're going to give me this nice little chunk of change for nothing. I still get to go to school. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, we signed up. I mean, I, I think I, we met with the recruiter and he's like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, he's like, well, we pretty much only got combat engineer unit. That's really looking for guys right now. Um, I, I think the signing bonus might've been like 20 K at the time. And I'm like, well, what the hell is a combat engineer? And he's like, well, you, you know, build, you know, the old thing was building bridges and doing this, but now, you know, the new thing is you get to play with explosives. And I'm like, well, that sounds pretty cool. You know, yeah. <laughs> trying to figure myself out right now. Why not play with explosives? So I was like, <laughs> let's do it. So I, uh, yeah, the spring of 06, I kept going to school. I, yeah, went to, went to basic for nine weeks. And then I think we had like a day or two off and went right into AIT for, uh, to be a combat engineer. And I think got back from there and like the next week went back to school again. Still playing golf. Starting start starting start fall semester right after basic training in AIT. Exactly. I think to get everybody kind of uh, uh, up to speed here. So what he's saying is that he decided to join the Army National Guard. National Guard, of course, being state-run, and they, states have different you know, overall battalions and then companies of individual jobs. At the time, Anthony... The only thing that he really had available is combat engineer, which is what's the MOS on it? It was a 21 Bravo at the time. I think it's, it might be a 12 Bravo now. Yeah. Okay. So basically what I remember combat engineers being is exactly like he said, building bridges. And I think if you think of a movie and what kind of depicts this for people to understand, I immediately think of in the army now. He wasn't a water purification specialist, which is a real job still in the military. But if you see when they're out there, make believe in the desert doing all this stuff, they have guys that come out and actually are setting up these, these bridges and massive trucks and putting them all together. That's not how it is. Current day combat engineers truly are what you would say, like explosive experts. And they have incredible you know, training and experience primarily not just working with our own explosives, but trying to figure out, you know, kind of one step below uh, EOD technician of how to blow everything else up. So that's what his journey is starting to look like. It blows my mind that you went from basic training to AIT. One week later, you're back home and you're starting fall semester and fall golf. I can't wait to see how this goes. <laughs> yeah, so I... Yeah, I got back and um, essentially back into golf. I, I was never, I, I wasn't a very good college golfer. I, I just, I, I had the skills, like they're just the raw talent, I think, to be decent. I just, my mind was never, never in it. And it was like my first time experiencing really slow golf, like six hour round golf. I'm a fast player. I just, I, I think about it, I pull the trigger. I mean, that's... <laughs> That's what I do. What are you doing up there in your tournament rounds? You're playing six hours. I mean, college golf is ridiculous. You know, we're playing in threesomes, foursomes. You know, right. everyone's standing around waiting for their turn. And then finally it's a 
learning their plumb bobbin from both sides and then they're you know they're reading it all and all this stuff and then they don't even hit the hole for four feet i'm like what i i just mentally i i just struggled to just get in the in the groove of college golf i mean we'll get to it later i mean i figured it out a little bit when i got back from from overseas but you know i just i kind of just struggled with it and um you know my wife now was was you know still back in in houghton so i was doing you know some long distance relationship stuff just got back from from basic um you know kind of coming full circle with my father i mean he was always such just a just a tough guy i mean he was six two just a big guy, you know, grew up pretty hard, um, you know, essentially lost his father pretty young and he was the man of the house early. So, you know, it was always tough to impress him. So when I went to basic training, I, I kind of flew under the radar there. So I, I was like, I was a deer in headlights for sure at basic. I'm like, you know, you know, I learned pretty quick when they say that, you know, when you're eating, if, if you're done, you're done. Don't try to sneak another bite of an apple. Otherwise you're going to get, <laughs> you know, the old chokehold from behind and say that, you know, that's my apple private. Um, yeah, I, it started out crazy, but you know, I, I just, I got focused at basic that I, I didn't really know I had that in me. So I just kind of, every day was a new challenge. And, you know, after that whole summer, I ended up finishing number one, um, you know, honor grad, I guess you'd say of the, of the whole, you know, three platoon, the company as hotel company down there at the time. So, you know, it opened my eyes up that I think I, I can do something here. If I put my mind to it, you know, work at applying this to school golf and all that stuff. So yeah, I got back in 07 and then, or the end of 06 and it kind of started a, a tough stretch. So my father got diagnosed with, with pancreatic cancer. That would have been like the spring winter of 06 and 07, you know, it was fast. He was losing a lot of weight. And, um, you know, they basically told me I had two months to live and he went, you know, two months, two days. So I kind of came full circle with my dad and my life where, you know, he was a hard, you know, in my opinion, a really hard father through sports and just through grades and school and just, just toe the line and, you know, be respectful and, and, and don't do stupid things. I mean, that was my, his whole vibe. And then, we had a, you know, a love hate relationship for a very long time, especially when my parents got divorced. And then, you know, the last few years, we, we really came full circle and became best friends. And, you know, when I went to basic training and I ended up number one and he hit him and my mom and, you know, my wife now, Katie, we're at, we're at the ceremony and it was, it was a really cool time. So I finally really felt like I impressed my dad. You know, we go into that, that winter you know, the old six, oh seven winter, find out he has cancer, you know, he passes away. Um, yeah. And that summer was just, it was just tough. I mean, it was just trying to figure things out still. My mom is the biggest sweetheart. You know, my wife now is the biggest sweetheart too. I mean, I got through things, but you know, it was tough. And then we headed, head into the late no seven. And then I, you know, I get my orders that, that I got to deploy. You're going to Afghanistan to do route clearance. What is that? Is that building bridges? I had, I had no idea at the time. At the time, so we had a we had a really good company, you know, in the National Guard. I mean, our leadership was was just rock solid. So you know, they said you're up for eight. You're going to be doing a lot of training, not just the weekends. I think I did in total like 100 plus days for sure of training, if not more, and just learn really started to learn about the mission. So so eight 
kind of said, I can't, I can't stay at school. I got, you know, I got training, you know, my wife now, current wife, Katie, she, she went actually out to Arizona and, and went to a cosmetology school at that time. So, you know, I was coming off a lot. I mean, it was just, it was a whirlwind. You know, my father passed away, you know, Katie moved out to Arizona to, to keep her education moving. I'm training a lot for, for, for overseas. I'm like 23, 24 years old, still trying to trying to figure my way in this world. And it was all a whirlwind. 06, 07 was, you know, a lot of good stuff, but some, some really, really shitty stuff too. Thinking about it and trying to pull the string, I guess a little bit on what you're saying is that it sucks that you didn't have a little bit more time with your dad, obviously. But I think maybe that the transition uh, in your life of going into the military, things that you learned about yourself in basic training, and then the skills that you picked up in AIT kind of put you on that position that before his death, you were able to see what you're saying of, you know, maybe I was looking at it the wrong way, as all young kids do. I mean, it, it took me a long, long time to finally come around and realize, you know, my dad was pretty hard. He was doing everything for a right the right reason. I was just a dumbass that couldn't see it at the time. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, even coming full circle to today, I mean, I, I see it, it. It's as clear as, as can be now to me, you know, with where my, you know, my brain's at, where my life's at, that, you know, everything he was doing was and, and saying and, and how he was trying to be a father, you know, you know, makes sense now. But at the point at that time, I'm like, yeah. you know, everything he's telling me not to do, I'm doing it just in spite, you know, cause I, I want to learn my, I got to carve my own path here. Too. And, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think the military, you know, things happen for a reason. I, I truly believe that. I mean, I feel like you do create a lot of your own luck in life, but I also think things do happen for a reason. And, you know, that, that military time in 06 and, and him and my mom and, Katie getting a drive from Hancock, Michigan, all the way down to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri together. And, you know, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in, in, in that car ride um, with those three. But yeah, then getting to see the honor grad situation and then, you know, being able to, to do all that before my father passed away. I mean, I think it, it definitely gave me the, the, the strength to, you know, handle his situation a lot better. I, I still think about him every day, you know, everyone, you know, time, time makes you just think different about that. Right. You know, I think, you know, it, it's easier, you know, every day, but there's also more things that you want to share with him. And, you know, the low points, he was always there to, to, to help me and be a sounding board, but, you know, it was also the guy I was always, you know, sharing all my victories with and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, it was a it was a tough stretch, but a lot of good stuff came out of it, and I think the foundation for for who I am today was definitely you know built through those few years. I think the other thing looking at it too is that the first time you as an adult in this relationship that you're forming with your now wife was kind of put into a true like couple support system, and. I'm sure it was a difficult decision for her to move to Arizona, but it was probably for her best too. And ultimately for your guys's relationship, the best of it. For, yeah, for sure. I, I think so. And, 
you know, my mom is, is the biggest sweetheart. I mean, she's just, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today without her. And, you know, I had a really, really solid aunt who, who passed away um, in the last few years here that, you know, when the whole thing was going down with my father, you know, my dad almost wanted to shield me from a situation because he was going, he went from a six to just tough Chicago guy, you know, 85 bears all day, you know, you know, muscle cars, you know, he was, you know, he, I was a Subaru and I love my little Subaru car. And he's like, dude, you know, muscle cars, you know, Mopar, 60 Mopar. I mean, that's just how it was. And he just lost so much weight and he, you know, he turned into a skeleton of himself. And, and in those last two months, my mom, my aunt Mary, and then, you know, ultimately my dad were just, obviously I was spending time with them, but they were trying to, you know, have me be busy and doing other things, playing golf and, and seeing my friends and, and they were handling the, the dirty work behind the scenes. And yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, the circle of life, it's, it's, <laughs> you got to take victories and losses and somehow balance them out and find, find some middle ground. I completely agree with that. There's no other real way to look at it. <laughs> and if, if you can't see it that way, like, I've kind of feeling bad for you because I can only imagine how, how hard and miserable that life would be. Anyway, what, what a guy from upper, you know, the UP, they tell you you're going to Afghanistan. What the hell do you know about Afghanistan? I didn't know anything really. I mean, I, 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 I knew there was mountains. Um, you know, I, I kind of, you know, as I started doing my, my research and, and stuff, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously learning about the Soviets being there and, and just the history of war and just that, you know, essentially it's almost, I guess, basically impossible to win there and, and all this stuff. And then I'm, I'm still just trying to learn out about, you know, what's this route clearancing? Cause everyone keeps saying, well, you're going, you're going over there to, you're doing a dangerous job and this and that. And I'm like, well, it's, it can't be that bad. I mean, what, what am I really doing? So, yeah. So, I mean, Oh, wait, just a ton of training and, you know, the mission's starting to, to kind of narrow. I mean, we find out we're, we're going to Afghanistan at first and then it's Eastern Afghanistan. And then it's, you know, late in 08, as we're getting prepared to go over there, you know, we were a platoon of about 110, I think. And then um, we get split up. So my platoon gets, gets sent to a smaller base and then the other guys, that we're, we're training with us get sent to a bigger base. So, you know, it's all starting to, to kind of come uh, full circle. Our, our final training destination before we head over was in, was in Camp Shelby down in Mississippi. Interesting place. I, I don't, it wasn't, it sucks. It wasn't beautiful. I mean, it, it, it did the job, right? I mean, but yeah, I mean, just, just trying to learn about Afghanistan, learn about our mission, you know, relentless training, I think you know, our leadership that we had really, you know, they had, you know, a lot of regular army experience. They had a lot of deployments under their belt. They had obviously a lot of young kids that were trying to figure out the life, you know, their life and they're taking them to war. And, you know, at the time I'm like, man, it just seems like we're doing way too much training. Like, can't we just like, can we just chill out for a day? And it was just, it was relentless. And it was, looking back at it, it's, it's the reason I'm, you know, probably still alive today, but just intense training. So yeah, late, late, no wait, we, you know, start getting more dialed in and we find out we're going to Oregon E, which is in the Pakika province, Eastern Afghanistan. And then 
the other piece of our company that got to patch went up to Salerno, which I think was in coast bigger base, a little bit bigger base. I mean, they had, you know, subway and a big gym and stuff. And we were kind of <laughs> in this little remote. I mean, it wasn't a, I've been to some remote outposts, but I mean, OE was, you know, a pretty small place in comparison to some of the places you'll see. So, yeah, right after early 09, um, here we are, boots on the ground in Afghanistan with snow-covered mountains and thinking, man, this is be a nice place to ski. Like, what's going on over here? Like, why can't they get it together? All right, so what base did you end up at? So I was at oregon So we were, um, that was our home base. For how long? RCP 14, so route clearance platoon or package 14. I think in country, maybe about maybe about 10, 10 months total over there, somewhere around there. A lot of miles. So, yeah, we did our, you know, our left seat, you know, right seat rides with the, the platoon or the company before us. They lost at least one. They had a pretty hard deployment. Went on one of our first missions. You know, we found an IED. We were all pumped, but, you know. We got back and then, you know, once they left, I'm like, well, what, what, you know, what's up with this place? It's not that bad. You know, it's snow is still there. And, you know, I, I didn't understand fighting season and summer and, and the difference of summer and winter in Afghanistan. And I, I was a gunner. So I went over there as a gunner. So, I mean, you probably are very familiar with what a route clearance package or platoon looks like, but, you know, ultimately we were we were leading the way everywhere, um, basically escorting. So if anyone needed to go by, you know, vehicle to, to any of these bases around us or anywhere in Eastern Afghanistan, you know, we were out first, um, couple single man vehicles out front Huskies that were essentially supposed to find the IEDs. You know, we had probably five gun trucks total. You know, once you put EOD's gun truck in there, probably six. Big Buffalo, like the big thing from Transformers that, you know, digs the bombs out of the road. So essentially a tight-knit group of people that went three miles an hour all over the country and <laughs> tried to find uh, essentially, you know, bombs. And then our, you know, our area was was so mountainous that, you know, routes weren't clear until the mountains were clear too so there was obviously you know a lot of really tough areas we'd go through where you know we'd, we'd clear the road make sure that's good and then we did a lot of dismount stuff through the mountains make sure the mountains were um yeah but i i was a gunner to, to start the year did you know all of my training i was pretty good with a 50 cal i was i was okay with a mark 19 i was really good at my rifle but i was you know i was really really good with a 240 bravo and i was just i could just drive nails with it and you know ended up being one of the one of the five or six gunners we had overseas you know it's crazy for probably for you looking back on it you know you didn't know what to expect at all then you get there and there's a couple week culture shock while you're doing your left seat right seat and then all of a sudden you settle into the rhythm of things and then, like you're saying, you're like, wow, I'm pretty good at this. This isn't so bad. You get your rhythm down. You figure out when you're working, when you're sleeping, get settled in. Then after a couple months, it starts to get hard. Yeah, things don't, yes. Things don't go the way that they originally were. And ultimately, it doesn't matter what unit or where you're at, shit starts to break down. 
So kind of talk me through that phase of the deployment because there's always, always something to learn from there, not only about yourself, but also about the people that you're with. Yeah. So I remember, you know, we went on a handful of missions, not much action, a couple IEDs. They're probably in the road from the year before even, you know. Saying that too, it's easy for us to cope. I say this all the time. Ah, yeah, you know, a couple ID blasts. Don't worry about it. Me, I've been in a couple helicopter crashes. No big deal. That's just how we cope with it. A lot of people hearing this, you say, oh, yeah, you know, we walked up. We, you know, took care of a couple IEDs. That's a big fucking deal, dude. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, looking back at it, for sure. I mean, it's yeah. different than going on to a construction project today. Exactly. But, um, I remember we had we had this first like named mission and I, I I'm kind of I don't remember exactly we went south of OE and you know the big the big uh you know the the punchline on this is you know we're, we're going in areas that we haven't been in since you know we invaded the country so I'm like great this sounds good so you know the weather is just breaking and you know we go on this mission and we're just the goal of it is kind of to head up this this valley as far as we can go. Spend a couple of days, do some do some recon, you know, check out the area and then head back. So we're heading out, you know, a couple of days we're on our way out there and and no action. Then we're like, eventually you get to the end of the road, right? And you got to turn around and there's only one way out. <laughs> I'm like, so I remember it, you know, like like it was yesterday, but the first action we really got in, um, really bad choke point and we had trying to work our way through this choke point to get out and um you know we were i was my gun truck was kind of looking right up this valley and you know i just all of a sudden i hear these like these cracks and snaps and i'm like like for a split second and then everything just kind of went into slow motion so i'm like you know i i I holler down to the you know my tc i'm like dude we this is it, right? This is this is what we're getting ready for. And he's like, "What do you mean this is it? I don't I don't know what's going on." And then I just start shooting, right? And I'm just like, because the mountains are, you know, they're flashing at you. It's camera flashes, and you know that that firefight. It was just like slow motion, and you just all your training, you know, just just kind of just kicks in, and you're like, you you're almost like out of body, just running through your training you know, and everything comes so naturally. And, you know, obviously there's certain people, you know, what I find is, you know, the, the biggest hard asses in the military turn into the biggest softies when the bullets are flying. Like a thousand percent. Luckily we, our platoon was tight. I mean, there wasn't, we we're all kind of, we knew our job. There wasn't any loud, obnoxious people. I mean, and, and stuff like that. So we were all really good, but yeah, the training just kicks in and you're, you know, you're just, you're scanning the mountains and you're, you're, you know, you're taking out camera flashes and doing all that stuff. And it was just eye awakening. And then from there, I mean, our whole summer was, I mean, I, I don't know if we left the base without action then, you know, it was just all summer, anywhere we went, you know, you're getting it on the way there, you're getting it on the way back. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I learned what Afghanistan was pretty quick. Yeah, you definitely learn quick, especially under those circumstances. It's funny because, like I said, you you know, when shit hits the fu- shit hits the fan, you learn out really quick who is what and what each person's made out of, and kind of who has the the muster to actually be there, or who's just kind of full of shit, just blowing smoke. 
But it's also like looking back on it, it, you are completely rolling the dice on if this training for you guys, not a, not a lot of training really. I mean, from your pre-deployment workup and everything, there's a lot of time and effort put into that, but it's not like you're this cohesive unit that operates day and day and day and day and day. And it's probably a good thing that this ended up, you know, action started picking up later in your guys' deployment because who knows what would happen if you guys would have rotated in in spring into summer. And we touched on it a little bit in the beginning. So fighting seasons definitely follow like the weather calendar in Afghanistan. You wanted to get a spring or summer deployment because that meant that it was fighting season. You came in in fall, starting to get cold, into wintertime. Enemy doesn't want to do shit. So it was always very, very low op tempo. So that's kind of what we were talking about there. But just like at the beginning, you guys are grooving this in. Next thing you know, you guys are in ticks every single time you're leaving the wire. Troops in combat. They're getting shot at. And then people start being fucking complacent about it because you just, it's nothing new now. Those snaps and cracks and everything else whizzing by your head. That's expected. And people start literally just asleep at the wheel because it's just your normal day. And that's when shit gets dangerous. Yeah, that that's that's definitely definitely true. I mean, a couple really bad things that just kind of stick out. You know, I I was gunning and my vehicle got got blown up May first. And, you know, when I talk about it a lot, it's you know, I explain the lead up to that. So it took us like 30 plus hours to go like 11 miles the day, the couple of days before. So we needed to get out to, to, to Bob Tillman or cop Tillman or whatever it was. And, you know, we just, we were just slow move and there was everything in the road IEDs on the way out there. We got right into the pass to head over the mountain basically to get to Tillman. And we go through a town that we went through a lot and everything was locked up. There wasn't a soul in, in the town. Not a good sign. No. So we, we get to the bottom of the valley right before we start going up the pass. And, you know, our, our leadership's like, you know, let's get some meals. Let's, let's, let's group here a little bit. So, yeah, we start uh, ultimately heading up the pass and we do a recon by fire. So basically just a test fire into the hills and the whole valley just lit up. It was just, it was crazy. And, you know, our, our route, clearance platoon i mean we had six guns essentially so i mean you know rumors that day was you know two to three hundred people in the mountains so i mean it's 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 nuts i mean rpgs flying i mean everything's just going crazy and then um yeah i mean we get done with this this huge tick and then we're moving again and you know platoon sergeant comes over guarantee there was something in the road guys that was going to cause that ambush and you know sure shit 20 minutes later, Husky driver finds a bomb, you know, they put the battery to the wire. Next thing you know, he's getting blown off the side of the mountain, you know, and then we're, we're doing this whole thing over again. So we went out to Tillman and then the next day on the way back, I think there was like, like two or three IEDs. And then, and then the one that hit our truck, um, wasn't huge, but you know, I got knocked out, um, woke up on the floor, didn't really know what was going on. We were in another firefight. Yeah, I mean, it's just how quick things happen. You know, route clearance was, I try to explain it as essentially the most boring job in the world for like 
90% of the day to <laughs> adrenaline rush you can't explain because I mean, literally we go anywhere from, I mean, sometimes we're going 10 miles an hour when we know the area is essentially friendly, but you know, you get in the, into the hills where, where the bad shit is. And I mean, you're, you're three to five miles an hour and you're stopping for an hour for the Buffalo guy to dig or whatever the case may be. So a lot of highs and lows as far as adrenaline and, and just trying to stay focused is nearly impossible. Yeah. I, I could not even imagine. I, tell people this all the time and they ask me what my experiences have been in total you know i've been to afghanistan nine times thousands of missions i can count on one hand how many times i drove anywhere because fuck that shit (laughs) why drive where you can fly all right exactly i mean and and number two kudos for you my little brother was a calf scout in uh third infantry division and he would was they got tasked in northern afghanistan to do route clearance there as well and some of his stories that he would tell i was like yeah but justin like you're literally just going out there i mean you're not clearing the route you're you're kind of just going out as bait and you're just going to find you know how many of these little mouse traps you can set off during a day, a week, a month, ultimately turns out to be a year, you know? And after a while, I'm like, what the hell were you guys doing? He's like, man, you don't, like, you don't understand it. It just becomes the norm. And when you do find an IED, everybody stops, establishes security, calls EOD up. Hey, we're going to figure out what this is, interrogate it a little bit, and then figure out a way how we can clear this out of here. Cool. You don't understand. That is an hours on hours on hours long process to get that done. And we're still sitting at the side of the road. Not only that, but all these roads are running through like the low points in all these valleys. And who do you think is surrounding you all on each side? The enemy. Just waiting. Pick us off one by one. So kudos for you guys for doing that because there's... There's no way in hell that's not the army that I want to be in. Because I, I'm, I, I'll admit it, I don't have the balls big enough to do that. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, and every row, I mean, there's one way in and one way out of everywhere, right? So, I mean, you get there, you know, it's great. I mean, but you're like, okay, I got to go back down that road. So, um, they pretty much know that. And, you know, even if you get a, get to your destination unscathed, you, you never got out of it unscathed. So. Not you're very fortunate you're, that, you're, that everybody year. everybody left a little bit there. Fortunately, yeah. you know, for the people who came home, you know, we left probably a, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and and brought back thoughts and these fucking you know visions that we have in our brain now. Anyway, so you guys were there for an entire year. Yeah, pretty pretty close. Like I said, probably in country for ten. You know, I think a couple months leading up was. Uh, down in Shelby and then, and then got back. And, you know, fortunately we didn't lose anyone over there. We had a pretty, pretty wicked injury. One of our good gunners, uh, Frenchie took an RPG essentially to the chest. Um, so, what? you know, it, yeah, I mean, there was a guy like pretty bad. It, it was this route that we kept running. And for some reason we kept ending up there like right at sunrise. And I'm like, 
this we're all like so we changed our our whole our whole plan through there so we left like early than or late the night before to get through that area you know when it was when it was a little bit more manageable and you know there was all these fake ieds in the road slowing us down and we just we just couldn't get there and we got there at sunrise and it was yeah it was a pretty pretty intense ambush um a guy was only like maybe 50 to 100 yards off the road max and about three quarters of the way through this this whole thing yeah rpg guy just just popped out and essentially went right into the turret blew up on him and yeah he was in pretty rough shape and we called in medevac to 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 work him out of there and and the area was just so hot they won they wanted nothing to do with it until we could get the the mountains secured so he was in rough shape you know medic was was getting on him and then we had to dismount like two guys from each vehicle and just head up the mountains and try to try to maintain it try to get control of the mountaintops so the birds would come in so yeah i was i was one of the dismounted guys that actually went up during that and finally got to the top and you're like what's on the other side of this this mountain and and you get in there and you know fortunately enough there there wasn't you know by the time we got up there and you know shot our way up there we were, we were good when we got up there but he got out and um yeah, he's had a long recovery. I know he was in Walter Reed for a long time, but yeah, I think he's about as good as he, he can be today. And he was more upset. He missed the rest of the deployment. And I'm like, dude, you got, you took an RPG to literally like the chest. Like it, it's the biggest miracle on earth or even right. alive. Yeah. It's, it's again, that mentality. You got, you got the warrior spirit inside you. Nothing's going to hold you back from it. Cause I guarantee all he was thinking about is getting back out there with his boys. For sure. What'd you guys do when you came home? So I got home, you know, late. It would have been late 09. Um, I had her right back to school. Like two weeks later, two weeks later, January semester. What a good, you know, don't worry about decompression or trying to settle back into normal life or deal with any of this baggage that I'm bringing home with me from this war zone that I'm coming from with. I'm going back to school, man. Let's do it. So I was like a 2.1 to 2.3 GPA guy before I headed over there. I mean, 2.0 was GI built, 2.0 was golf team. Um, yep. So I came back and and just just weirdly enough, I I could, you know, my I had three semesters of school left. You know, I had I had a little bit of fun, but I also committed and spent a lot of time in the library and I I deans list the last three years because it wasn't difficult anymore. No, like 3.6, 3.7. GPAs and pounded it out. And it was, you know, it was just, to me, it was, it was pretty simple. I mean, the big things are still big things, but it's like the little things it's like, you know, the gas pump clicks off when you're, you know, I, I hate that when I wipe, fill up my wife's vehicle right now, it's like 40 clicks and I can finally get her Jeep filled up with gas. I mean, it's like before I went overseas, it, it just bothered me to the nth degree. And when I got back, it was just like, it's nothing. Right. Yeah, it puts life in perspective for you. So I went back. I was back on the golf team, still being an, like an average golfer, but a little bit better. I think I had maybe maybe a top ten or something when I got back. But um, yeah, so I was, you know, still doing a little bit of long distance relationship with Katie. I was in school. I, I was, you know, decompressing from from war, just trying to, you know, figure it all out. Well. 
you finished school, which is good. Yeah. So, yeah, got done with school, military. My six-year commitment in the military was was wrapping up the end of that year. Got married in 11. Um, so it was a lot of stuff going on. But that summer was like the first summer I really played a lot of golf. Like I, when I was a kid, I played a lot of golf. In high school, I, I played enough, but not like a ton. So that summer of 11, I I practiced for probably, you know, an hour or two a day if I could. And then I, I was playing pretty much daily. So that was my, that was my escape for that. I didn't help my wife too much with the wedding. She basically said it was a surprise party. <laughs> I don't necessarily disagree with her, but uh, it was a good summer. I mean, I played a lot of golf. Like I said, I, you know, got married. I, I had no clue what I wanted to do as far as work, but I was playing a lot of good golf that summer. So you know, late that summer, I was playing a lot of money matches with the, the head pro from the course and some other guys that were pretty good. And, you know, I was shooting 68 on my off days and, you know, 65, 66, you know, just constantly in the 60s. And, um, you know, late that summer, just he said, what do you think about trying to be a pro golfer? I'm like, I've played college. I mean, I know what D, I know what good D2 players are, right? I mean, they're sticks. I'm like, I, I have no idea. Yeah, late that year, some, some people put some money together to try to get me out to Arizona and, and, and join a, you know, I think it, a cactus tour or something maybe at that point in time. But I was also applying for jobs. I mean, my wife stayed on me like, hey, you got to, you know, this summer isn't just a complete free for all. I mean, you got to get your resume out there and all that stuff. And, you know, my father-in-law, Craig, you know, and we'll probably get to this, but you know, where I work today, it's a family construction company, you know, he mentioned some things about possibly hiring me after school, but, you know, I, I, I just loved him so much. And I got, I, I got along with him too well. I never wanted to come into the family business and, and kind of drive that, you know, that split us up for any reason for, for work, work-wise. I just didn't, I didn't want to kind of enter that. So, yeah, late that year, I got I got a job offer and basically had an offer of a pool of money to to move out to Arizona and play golf, and I had a decision to make. And I was newly married, so yeah, I, I kind of sat on it for about a week, and I'm like, man, being a pro golfer would be cool, but I I don't think it's the best for my relationship. I better take that job that's going to pay me like you know, like 32 grand a year, I'm going to be, I'm going to be loaded. I better, I better take that, you know? So yeah, late, late in uh, 11, I ended up kind of getting my first real job growing up. I mean, I was always working from the time I was 14, you know, through the military. I, I work at the golf course at Forge Lake Golf Course. So I started when I was young, picking the range. Yeah. I did a little pro shop stuff and then I ended up on the grounds crew. I think I was in the grounds crew for like six years. So, um, I was always around the course and, uh, and love that. So, but this is my first real job, I guess, outside, you know, the military and the deployment had a decision to make and I turned down golf and I, I said, you know, the odds of me really making it or, or getting even a decent run or, you know, probably a percent of a percent of a percent. And I said, I never wanted to hate golf. You know, I got to the point in my life where I, I actually hated hockey because of how much I played and, know how much pressure was on me so I said I always want this to be my escape from reality and I'm gonna move to Detroit and work in manufacturing of course 
the normal transition. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? You think golf changed for you, kind of because, I mean, it's still competitive in nature, especially when you're coming back from the deployment. But I'm sure it provided you a little bit of an an outlet, a stress reliever, and just an opportunity to really hang and just try to be good without worrying about college golf or anything else like that. It just completely freed you up into something that you enjoy doing. That summer definitely changed stuff. Like I, you know, I had a good high school career, you know, I won off just sheer talent. It had nothing to do with my mental game. My mental game was, you know, on a one to 10 scale was probably a one and a half. I I won on just pure skill, but yeah, that summer I just, I, I I focused on, on golfing and, and, you know, getting better and understanding golf is more than swinging a club as hard as you can, trying to hit it as far as you can and putting really matters in golf and course management matters even more and just forgetting the bad shots. I mean, I used to be, you know, I hit a bad shot and I'm like, you know, I just melt down. And then that, that summer I'm like, you know, the next shot is, is the most important shot. I mean, who cares how you got in the trees? Let's get out of them. So yeah, it was, it was cool to finally start playing some consistent golf where going low was, was something I figured out. Like I can, you know, there's no need to get nervous when you're a couple under or something like that. Just, you know, if you're two, let's get it to three. If you're three, let's get it to four. So Part of me thought, you know, I'm, I'm a way different player than I was in college or high school. I thought maybe there was a chance I could, you know, golf's so weird. I mean, you gotta, you know, you gotta be in the right place at the right time and just it all click once or twice and that can pave a, a decent little path for you. But yeah, I was like, I can't wait to be a manufacturing in Detroit. <laughs> Falling in the, that American dream of yours. Oh yeah. How did Troy work out? So it, it was actually, it wasn't bad. So Katie, um, we're newly married. She, she was still finishing up at Michigan tech. Um, so school wise, she was like three years behind me. And then she went out to Arizona and stuff. So she was, she was kind of on her last little piece of tech. She's like, I, I refused to move to Detroit. So I, I was, <laughs> I that, that makes it a little difficult. Yeah. So I went down to Detroit. She stayed back up um, in the UP and um, Detroit was good. I mean, I was, I was trying to figure out a real big person's job. Um, I had really good leadership there. He really just empowered everyone around him to, to use their brain and, and make decisions. And, you know, the person at the top doesn't need to make every decision. You know, everyone on the floor needs to make contribute to these decisions and make us all good. So, you know, he really focused on, you know, a 40 hour, 45 hour work week. So don't, don't overwork yourself. Um, I played a lot of golf when I was in, in Detroit, uh, you know, I'd work and, and play golf and that's essentially what I had. So, um, I was there for about seven months and then, then I got transferred to South Carolina. Little, little change there for you. Yeah. So then everyone's like, wow, you're going to South Carolina, your golf game is going to be great. I mean, the weather's awesome. So Katie and I, we pack up a U-Haul and, you know, she's going to, she's trying to finish school, but now she's chasing, you know, coming down to South Carolina and and we moved down there and my golf game just went down. I played like four times that year. Um, I just worked. I worked too much. I, I, I had, 
you know, I had good bosses that were very smart. They, they knew, they knew the industry. They were very good people. Um, just a different style of leadership. I went from a big plant in Detroit to a very hands-on small intimate facility in, in South Carolina. So it was just a lot of hands-on work. I mean, I was, I was starting the plant. I was, I think I was waking up around four in the morning and, and opening the plant and, you know, working side by side with everyone and leaving, you know, late at night, just insane hours. Um, what, what are you guys building? So it was anodizing. So we anodized aluminum. So my, my cool thing when I was in Detroit is we used to do the Trigicon work. Um, so I got to, I got to play with ACOGs and, and all that stuff down there. So um, yeah, the, basically anodized aluminum down in South Carolina. It was a little bit different. It was a lot of like uh, NASCAR type parts and stuff for the race teams down there. Um, but yeah, taking aluminum and anodizing it and putting different colors on it, doing a bunch of stuff like that. So yeah, essentially putting aluminum parts on a metal rack and dipping it in acid and electrocuting it. I'm safe, right? I'm I'm out of my depth of knowledge here, so I have no clue. <laughs> what I do know is you're right. It doesn't sound fucking safe at all. <laughs> and uh yeah, in South Carolina there's a different uh there's a different level of safety requirements down there. I mean, I was, you know, in shorts and you know, a t-shirt essentially around acid baths all day in electric and electricity. So yeah, it was a different different vibe and then I was, I was in the process of getting transferred again. So I was in a, in a management trainee program where they tried to expose you to many things really fast and different periods of time, you kind of work yourself out of that role and go into a new role. And, and the eventual plan was to be like a plant manager after, you know, five to seven years. So I was in the process of moving again from South Carolina, either to Portland or back to Detroit. And I got word I was going back to Detroit and it was the same time my father-in-law was having some some troubles managing the, the family construction company out of Madison. And he's like, what do you think about coming to work for the family? And I'm like, Craig, I, you know, I already told you, I did just, I love you too much. We get along. I don't want to, he's like, just, just come up here. It just, so I flew up and we kind of laugh about it now, but he kind of sold me a, you know, a raw bag of goods and, you know, <laughs> how peachy things were and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, long story short, I ended up saying, yeah, let's let's do this with the family company. And we moved back or we moved up to the Midwest and in Madison. And we've been here essentially since then. So it's a construction business. So we are a specialized commercial construction company. So all we do is large commercial work. So we do stadiums, hospitals, schools, that type of work. And what we do is we spray structural steel fireproofing. So basically the steel skeleton will we'll spray it with material. If there's a fire, essentially the building won't collapse and you can get people out safely. Right. Uh, we do spray foam insulation. You know, anything you can pretty much spray on a commercial building is, is what we do. So when, when I came to Madison eight, nine years ago, we had a lot of employees at that time, probably... 50 or 60, but we were on one project. We had a very, very large project going in Madison. And then when that wound down, still to this day, probably one of the hardest moments of my life is, you know, we had to lay off just a lot of people, like 50, 50 plus people. So we came down like a small, tight-knit crew of five, six employees at times and just 
really had no work. We came off a good project, you know, that laid the foundation, but had no work. So, you know, Craig sold me this, this beautiful opportunity and here I am laying people off, which was, like I said, it, honestly, it was probably one of the hardest days ever. Um, but yeah, and then we just kind of started building it back up um, from that time. And, you know, fast forward to where we're at today, we have almost 50 employees again. Um, we have a beautiful facility spread across a couple different jobs here. So this, this yeah. whole thing does. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're on anywhere from probably, I don't know, 15 to 20 jobs at a time. Right, that's um, good. At least you learned something from it. Yeah. We found out <laughs> that that didn't work. So yeah, we do stadium. So we, we do a lot of work for the Packers. Um, we do the Bucks new basketball stadium where they just won the championship. A lot of university of Wisconsin work for the Badgers and stuff. So yeah, we travel the Midwest and a great team that that does this work. And you know, I'm I'm one percent of of what goes on. I just try to you know be the boards in the hockey rink and try to deflect things back into the rink. And uh, yeah, it's a wild ride. Every day is a new challenge. Um, you know, I grew up in just teams. Golf was obviously a team for high school, college a little bit, but just been teams my whole life. I mean, it was hockey when I was younger, it was baseball. It was the military was obviously the ultimate team. And, you know, we've built a, a pretty fun and awesome team here in Madison. So uh, things that work are we try to be laid back. I mean, work sucks, tough work that we do. Um, the, the, our field work, it's, it's heavy. It's, it's messy. It's, it's cold. It's wet work. It's, it's tough work. Um, and, and those guys, they just, they kill it in the field. So we have dogs running around the office and, you know, we try to keep it pretty low key and be as stress-free as possible from a, from a leadership style throughout the company. So my brother-in-law, you know, Brady, who's, who's my, you know, probably my best friend these days, um, my wife, Katie, and, and I, we, you know, ultimately are the the ownership group and, and manage the business now. So it's tough. You never get away from it. It's 24 seven. You know, even if you're not at the office, it's all you think about 24 seven, but uh, you know, we do a good job. We all, we all have different styles of, uh, of leadership and, and, and what's important to each one of us. You know, I'm more of a handshake napkin, you know, we'll just get the work done. And Katie's like, well, where the hell is the contract? I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, we're just getting the work done. And, you know, Brady's very process driven and equipment driven. Spends a lot of time. I'm very passionate about the field guys. And, and, you know, we all are, but it's, we all look at things completely different. We, we work well together. And, you know, after eight or nine years, we, we still love each other. And, you know, sit around the table together and have, have Thanksgiving and Christmas together. So it's good. Well, cool. You know, I appreciate you uh, taking the time, sharing your story. I thank you for your service first and foremost, but man, I can't believe golf is kind of this way. And I can't, you know, there's so much similarities between your story and mine and kind of the way that we grew up and circumstances, how we grew up. I can't wait to one day get around to it and actually, uh, you know, be in the same place and be able to tee it up together. Yeah. I can't wait either. I, I appreciate the opportunity to come on here and talk for a little bit about, you know, my story and kind of where I came from and, you know, golf and military a little bit. So 
yeah, I really, really appreciate it, Cody. And like I said, you're not uh, you're not going up this weekend to play a little pond hockey up at Sand Valley. <laughs> no, I'm not. We're actually going. Um, I'll be down in Florida uh, end of next week for about a week to see the in-laws down there. So I'm gonna do a little bit of golfing, and then for winning the VGA, I get to play in the Monday like pre-pro-am at Monterey Peninsula Country Club for the AT&T thing. So, so what you're saying is that this package that comes with you winning is a real rough life that you're living in now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. Well, good. I, I don't think there's uh, any other person that's better to represent a community that, that is the Veterans Golf Association. So congratulations on that again. And like I said, just look forward to teeing it up again. Sounds good, Cody. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll be in touch and we'll get on the link sometime soon. <laughs>